Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now, here's the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians 5, 22-33, called The Mystery of Marriage. Adam, the first Adam, failed when the serpent came and lied to Eve. Adam did not stand between the serpent and his wife. What he did was he listened to her. So she heard some stuff from the serpent, and then Adam took a bite. Instead of being a man and saying, you know what, no, that's a lie. That's not what God said. He backed off. Now the second Adam took the place of the first Adam and when Judas was coming, probably possessed by Satan, and he led that huge entourage to come to get Jesus, who stepped up and said, who are you looking for? The second Adam. And he said, if it's me that you want, after he knocked them all down and was saying, I am, let these go their way. And the second Adam did what the first Adam failed to do. Here's an application point for husbands. We need to be doctrinally Um, discerning and aware enough to know that we need to protect our wives from false thinking and false doctrine. Uh, Paul wanted to present the church as a pure virgin and he's speaking of purity in doctrine. Don't underestimate, gentlemen, the power of theology. Right thinking brings right, right behavior. The enemy is a liar. What does he do? He comes and tries to lie to those that we love and we as leaders in the church and in the home, what do we do? We cut doctrine straight so we know what line to follow. So we tell the kids, look, this is what God says about this subject. This is what's off about this subject. And I don't roll a pulpit into the living room, okay? Line up the children and say, okay, you know your memory verse. We don't do that kind of stuff. But I don't know about you, but during this fast time, it's been a beautiful time for our family, with, especially with the technology fast, because we can't turn anything on. No games, no computer, no pads, no TV. And so we've been spending time doing the devotions, and it's been really neat. That's the way you get to know the heart of your uh, spouse and children better, and so forth and so on. And so presenting this bride holy and blameless uh, was the job of the, the spiritual father, making sure she was pure to present to the groom. And in the same way, husbands on earth uh, try to, by the help of the Holy Spirit, keep their wives pure in every sense of the word to present them to the ultimate groom because I won't be married to her in heaven. She's not going to be my wife in heaven. That's what Jesus said. In heaven, they will neither be given in marriage nor will they be married, but they will be like the angels. So at some point, guess what? I'm going to hand my wife over to her ultimate groom. And what does God ask of me when I do that? That I present her to him pure and spotless. That is a little strange thinking on the human side of it, but that's the picture. That's what a husband does, ultimately looking forward to that day when he will hand her off, as it were, to another. And so husbands, Ephesians 5.28, ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Now, I often hear people say that you can't love other people properly until you love yourself. 
there may be some merit to that. I am not going to um, rain on the parade that there are times when we all fail at self-love. We, we might beat ourselves up more than anybody else, and that may be a problem for many of us, maybe at different points in our lives. But, I, but I'll say this to you. I think that we pretty much already love ourselves. I think that's pretty much an assumed thing in the Bible. And I, I think one of the great illustrations of this is if you ever get a group picture and you're in it, see who it is you look for first in the picture. And the person you look for first in the group photo is the one that you love the most. And it's usually you, right? One woman said, uh, my marriage is great. Uh, we're, uh, we're both in love with the same man. So anyway, and so husbands ought to love their own wives. See, guys, I told you most of, the, most of this is about us. As their own bodies, he who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever, 29, hated his own flesh, but nourishes, that's the word, to rear up to maturity or to cherish, and cherishes, that word speaks of to keep warm, to tenderly love, to foster with tender care, cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Put it this way. If you get an owie, you're going to take care of yourself. You're going to try to nourish and cherish that. You're going to take care of your flesh. I normally make sure I get three squares a day and plenty of snacks. You know, I'm pretty much well taken care of. I, I take care of myself because that becomes a priority in terms of just normal human life. Well, in the same way, we are to nourish and cherish our wives because we are members, verse 30, of his body. We are members of his body, New King James, of his flesh and of his bones. My wife is my sister in Christ. Hmm. I don't often think of it that way, but my wife is my sister in Christ. And one day, I'm going to give an account for how I treated her, but think of it this way. Since much of Ephesians is about the body, the two becoming one, there's no greater picture of that than in marriage. And the body life of the church is much of what's being discussed in this particular letter. And so we are members of one another. If I hurt her, I hurt myself. There's no one who can love me more than my wife and there's no one who can hurt me more than her and vice versa. And when we're not right, it seems like nothing's right in the world. And we can have stretches when, you know, it's not a mountaintop, but you know what I'm saying. When, when stuff in the relationship is amiss, then it seems like everything is wrong and that has to be made right. We are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones. Uh, On Sunday, we will see Jesus confront Saul, who becomes Paul. And he says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, Jesus wasn't being directly persecuted by Saul. Saul was dragging men and women alike off into prison. He stood there while Stephen was being killed. But what does Jesus say to Saul? Why are you doing this to me. In Matthew 25, Jesus said, when you did this to the least of these, you did it to me. And when we are treating, take a deep breath, 
when we are treating one another in relationships that Jesus paints this way, then as I did it unto her or she did it unto me, we did it to Christ. Wow. See, we are members of his body. Now Paul, to round out the picture, goes all the way back to Genesis and says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now there's a point in uh, a, a man's life, in a typical life of a male, where he leaves his first family, mom and dad, and he cleaves, the word cleave there is a Greek word proskaleo, and it is to stick like glue or to stick. Uh, it's, you can consider the illustration of the sealing of an envelope, kind of when you lick it or wet it and then you seal it. The two become one flesh. So a man shall leave his father and mother, he'll cleave to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Now, as much as this speaks of friendship, oneness, and spiritual oneness, I think most of you understand that the language in Hebrew here of oneness is a sexual oneness. God, lovemaking is from God. And one of the main reasons that God wants a husband and wife to make love is that by that act, the two become one. It is a soul oneness. That's why in a culture where everybody's having sex with everybody, every time that someone has uh, that kind of relationship with another person, it is a soul imprint. God made it something deeper than just a fly-by-night act where someone gets whatever, some satisfaction out of it. When, When the two become one in the intimacy of marriage, which God created, it is a soul oneness. God is saying the two become one. It is a closeness. There is a a sacred spiritual uh, picture that is being painted here of Christ and his church. You don't want to push it too far, of course, but the Bible does say in this particular way, men and women become one in a sacred unity that, that, that is mystical in many ways. And the world and the devil have taken that and have dirtied it. Now, with sex, we sell cheeseburgers and you name it, right? It's out on open display. You go through the grocery line. You got to cover the eyes of your young uh, boys. You know they're affected by it. It is everywhere. We have taken something that God intended to be beautiful, sacred, pleasurable, something that honors him, something that is good, and we've moved it into the area of filth. How sad. But that's what Satan does. And we as the church need to recapture what this means. That in marriage, there is a beautiful coming together of husband and wife and the marriage bed is undefiled. You do not have to be embarrassed about discussions about lovemaking in marriage. You don't. God created it. It's his idea. He's the one that made it exactly the way it's supposed to be. But you're going to find the greatest fulfillment and the ultimate obviously uh, good in terms of what God wants in the context of marriage and in marriage only. So I have teenage boys and I've had to have, you know, as they've gotten older, I've had franker and franker discussions about this. And I've told them, it's, it's a pleasurable thing. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. 
Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. And we as the church need to recapture what this means. That in marriage, there is a beautiful coming together of husband and wife, and the marriage bed is undefiled. You do not have to be embarrassed about discussions about lovemaking in marriage. You don't. God created it. It's his idea. He's the one that made it exactly the way it's supposed to be. But you're going to find the greatest fulfillment and the ultimate, obviously, uh, good in terms of what God wants in the context of marriage and in marriage only. So I have teenage boys, and I've had to have, you know, as they've gotten older, I've had franker and franker discussions about this. And I've told them, it's, it's a pleasurable thing. It's a wonderful thing to be with your wife in that setting. But you are going to have to wait. And everything, the onslaught of this culture is going to come at you, young man. And you're going to have to pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to have to pray for the, your future wife. And you're going to have to pray that God will keep you pure until that night of your wedding. And then you are going to enter into something that is beautiful, wonderful, great, fun, exciting. I don't try to downplay it. I don't think that we should do that. Because I I don't think it's true to the Bible. I think we should lift it up in its proper context and say to them, it's good, it's right, it's fun, and it's exciting. And there's a soul oneness that's going to happen. And you're just going to have to wait because the best things in life you have to wait for. That's the way it is. Now this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, final verse, let each individual among you also love his own wife and back to the the wives, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. I've heard of the book. I haven't done a lot of research on it, but I've heard the man that was interviewed. This will be the final point for tonight. He, he wrote a book called Love and Respect. And after uh, many years of research in terms of, uh, I think, counseling appointments and just male-female mindset and stuff, he determined that the greatest need of a woman is affection and love. And, and when they've done surveys, they've determined that women have said that the greatest need that I have is for my husband to love me. And I'm not talking in a love-making way, but I'm talking about that he's there for me, that he will hold me, that he will love me unconditionally. Her greatest need. When they did the surveys of men, they found that a man's number one greatest need was to be with his wife sexually. And they found that the list, one to five, if you took her one to five priorities and flipped it, his, her number one was his six and uh, vice versa. So that's kind of the way it is. That's the differences in men and women, and that's how we can best understand each other. But a husband needs to see to it that he loves his wife, and she needs to respect her husband. Now I'll say a a word to the women. The greatest thing that a man can get from his wife is respect. Have you noticed how big respect is for men? 
it's so huge. If my wife respects me, I feel like I can fly. And she'll say to the kids, you know what? You have a great dad. You know why you have a great dad? I say, keep preaching it, honey. Preach it to him. Because he da, 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 on my chest. <laughs> I feel like a, the spit just went. I feel like I can fly. Right? Because when my wife is cheering me on, there's nothing greater. If my wife says to me, I could have 25 people say, that was a great message, Pastor Michael. If my wife says to me, Michael, that was a great message. I just go, oh, yeah. My lady thought that was a great Yeah. Right? But when I feel disrespected, that's probably the time that you're going to see Michael Lance, the mo- you'll see the, the hackles go up. When I feel disrespected, that's when I get the most angry. And oftentimes there may be a misunderstanding. What's going on? Because men long for respect. Men will fight for respect. It's just what makes us tick. Don't t- ask me why. I can't tell you. But it's just a huge thing. And what women have told me in my limited knowledge of premarital and all that stuff is that the thing that she longs for the most is tender love. Um, is that right, ladies? Would I be speaking accurately there? I know you want respect too, but I think in terms of the ultimates. And so um, if, you, if you take it full circle now and take it all the way back around, we come right back to all the basic stuff. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And a wife is to see to it that she respects or submits to her husband. And we've come full circle. We've seen both the bookends. We've seen the mystery. And we've seen what makes it work. This is what makes it work. So if a marriage is not working, if if it's not going well, what's the issue? Well, it could be this. It could be that one person is trying and the other person is not. And if you're in that situation, my heart goes out to you. But if, Pastor Chris will tell you, if he gets a marriage in crisis in the counseling office, most of the time, and there are other circumstances, frankly, it's disobedience. We are just not willing to do what God tells us to do. And then we find excuses for it. Well, you see, if only, if she, if he... And, and we sit in counseling appointments and we've done, we've logged many hours with this. If only, and we're like, well, wait a minute. What about you though? You're here. This is not a session to come and bag on your spouse, is it? And the, the downside, and this is, and I know some of you are in this situation, is when you have one that wants to get it right and the other one won't cooperate. That's what makes it difficult. And then that's when you just have to pray and keep trying to model as best you can that Christ-like behavior and pray that the Lord will work in your spouse. Father, thank you for this uh, section. Thank you for the wonderful marriages that we can celebrate tonight. There's many good ones in the Christian church, many uh, wonderful examples of a loving husband and a loving wife and a, a picture of the gospel. That's what's at stake here. It's the gospel. And forgive us for the many marriages that have been broken and have ended without biblical reasons. And Lord, we know that's the, not the unforgivable sin. Thank you that you died for all of our sins. And uh, some people did the best they could and hung in there and it just didn't work. And 
And we know that you um, are not going to condemn people. I don't believe you are going to condemn people for that. But but ultimately, Lord, we want to have a good marriage. And for those of us who are married, at least we can try to start afresh tonight. And we're going to need all the help we can get, as I said at the beginning. So please fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can love our spouse the way that you have called us to love them. All the questions that we have, Lord, may we bring them to you. And may you give us wisdom and discernment in moving forward. May you heal broken marriages. May you heal wayward spouses. I pray for those who are not Christians, who are married to a Christian, that they would be saved sooner than later, Father. I pray that the church would be a beacon and our marriages would speak well of the gospel. And I pray that we would extend as much grace as we can to one another because none of us have arrived. And so we just ask for your help tonight in loving our spouse as you have loved us. If we don't have a spouse tonight, thank you that you love us faithfully. Thank you that you are the ultimate groom and that you are faithful to widows who are listening tonight, to those who may not be married for whatever reason, that you are a faithful husband to them. See them through their stretches of loneliness and uh, if there's marriage in their future, guide them, Father, to the right person. We just are so grateful that you're a God of grace and I pray you strengthen us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Mystery of Marriage, Part 3 on Walk in Truth. And that was the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth on this station and on your podcast app. If you'd like to watch recent messages or church services with Pastor Michael and the Living Truth Congregation, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Living Truth Christian Fellowship. You can find the channel and learn more about Walk in Truth on our website, walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, some of you may be saying, yeah, marriage is a mystery to me. <laughs> but you know what? It doesn't have to be a mystery because it is has been laid out clearly in Scripture. The biblical roles, the foundation that you build on, what you're trying to achieve, how you love one another, all of it is there. And the beautiful truth of this passage that our marriage is a message. What is it conveying? That Jesus Christ loved his bride to the end. He loved her all the way to the cross. And, you know, we ended this passage by looking at love and respect. Men deeply desire respect and love. Women deeply desire love and respect. And when we're giving it to one another, and we won't do it perfectly 100% of the time, our marriage begins to form a message. What message? It begins to show people who watch us the gospel, the good news that God so loved his bride that he came on a saving mission for her. And she so loves him because of who he is, what he's done for her, how he graciously leads her, and how he's prepared a place for her. There's so, so much beautiful imagery here, brothers and sisters, of what marriage is all about. And 
I can feel it. I can feel uh, people out there saying, man, my marriage has been anything but that. Some of you are divorced. Some of you were married in a church, two Christians, and it fell apart. Some of you have been unfaithful to your spouse. Some of you have been living in a marriage where you would have to honestly say it's about as far away from the gospel as that the gospel is not being conveyed from my marriage. What do you do? Well, you have a couple of choices. Keep doing it the way you're doing it now or start to really pray over your marriage, get some help and get it back where it needs to be. God gave you that person. And I don't know your specific situation, but I just sense that the Lord's saying, you know what? Come back to it and give it your best again. And it will get where it needs to be by God's grace. Well, we're going to be talking about passing on the faith to the next generation because marriage typically ends up with children. And then there's children to raise. And how do we raise them? How do we pass on the faith to them? That's tomorrow right here on Walk in Truth. It's called Pass It On. And I would encourage you to listen and maybe pass it on to some of your friends and family. Tell them what you're hearing. We'll be talking about parenting and raising children as we continue through Ephesians. Lord willing, we'll see you right here tomorrow. God bless. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Ephesians chapter 6 called Pass It On. Parents, this one's for you. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.